Howdy! Welcome to CCC Hardcore, where we believe that every core member has a story worth telling, and we want to help tell those stories. Which brings me to our topic for today. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about why I decided to do CCC Hardcore. Um, the, this, the California Conservation Corps is a pretty popular program in the state of California. Um, it's been around for over 40 years now. It enjoys bipartisan support from the Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, and everybody agrees that it's a good program. And when we talk about what a good program it is, when you read about it in the newspapers or you watch it on TV, um, they always um, give us big numbers things. Um, we've done a lot, the CCC has done a lot of work over the years through the state of California. So, for instance, from the CCC website, you can find out that the Conservation Corps, since it's begun, has done 11 million hours of emergency work. That's a lot of work. 11 million hours. Too big to wrap your head around. We also find out from the CCC website that after the 1994 Northridge earthquake in Southern California, that Corps members devoted 170,000 hours to dismantling hundreds of hazardous chimneys. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of work. Um, but that's a big number. What, what exactly does that look like? Uh, we find out that the CCC, since it was established, have filled more than 3 million sandbags. That's a lot of sandbags. Um, what we want to look at here at CCC Hardcore isn't so much the big numbers, we want to look at the two cormers that formed a team and were actually filling those sandbags at the rate of 20 sandbags every 10 minutes. What does that feel like after filling sandbags for six hours? How many sandbags are those two cormers going to be responsible for after six hours? Those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. We also find out on the CCC website that the, uh, the energy crew with the C's since December 2013, um, those cr energy crews have surveyed more than 1,200 schools and over 12,000 buildings, which represent almost 70 million square feet. And additionally, the CCC has completed more than 50 retrofit projects, which involved over 80,000 lighting fixtures and 4,000 control retrofits, helping save schools more than 6 million kilowatts per year. That's a lot of work, and those are impressive numbers, and th that's why the program continues to enjoy the support that it does. But the stories that we want to tell here are about the core members in that energy program, some of them working out of Placer Center. Um, a lot of this work that they do is done at night because you can't be replacing lighting fixtures with a classroom still full of kids. So they work at night a lot. So what's, what is it like for a core member from the energy program um, to have to turn his or her schedule around, work, I mean, sleep during the day when the center is doing its normal daily stuff and then have to get up when everybody else is coming home from their day and going out and spending the night working on these projects? What's that like? Those are the stories that we want to find here. Those are the stories that I want to tell. Those are the stories that former members tell each other when we get together. Um, we talk about the individual work projects. We talk about life on the grade, life on the center. And it occurred to me, uh, since the program has been around for over 40 years now, some of us are getting a little bit long in the tooth. 
Uh, I was a coroner myself back in 1986 to 1988. And, and there are people 10 years older than me that have been doing this. And we're going to start losing our stories. Um, we need to record our stories somewhere and save them. There's just a huge wealth of experience and knowledge that I think people should know about. You know, this is inspired partly by um, the, the Veterans Oral History Project. Um, it's a, a federal program wanted to collect, realized that our World War II veterans were dying and needed to collect the stories of those veterans. Uh, so they went out just talking to veterans and recording their stories. And it, it got veterans talking more about their experiences. And, and a lot of those turned into books. Um, that's why we had the explosion of interest from, you know, things like the Band of, Band of Brothers. I mean, just that one book that was written by Stephen Ambrose, talking to uh, the veterans that he did, inspired so many more books. A lot of books, a lot of first-hand accounts of World War II that came out after that were inspired by Stephen Ambrose, just talking to veterans. And that's kind of what I want to do here. Uh, we need to collect our stories so that people don't forget. Because people will forget if we don't go out of our way to record it and to save it somehow. And I really do believe that every coroner has a story worth telling. You know, we tell some the big and exciting stories sometimes get all the press. You know, um, the significant transformations of people like there was a girl on my crew back in the late 80s when she showed up in the ccc she was just out of high school she didn't want to know what she wanted to do with her life like so many other you know, uh, middle class you know suburban high, uh, high school kids do um she didn't have a lot of purpose didn't have a lot of direction uh she um decided that she after about six or eight months of just being, you know, just a regular coroner, just following along and doing what she was told when she was told and not worrying about stuff. She decided that she wanted to change. Um, so she really dedicated herself to learning the job, learning the tools, learning everything that she needed to do. And she had gone from being this um, very quiet, reclusive coroner uh, to being one of the standout coroners on the crew. Uh, she became a tool swamper, which people didn't think that she was going to be able to do. As a tool swamper, her job was to maintain the crew's tool inventory. She had to make sure that every tool was properly maintained and that the proper tools got out to the work site that, needed to, that, um, that the crew was going to need for the project. So she didn't have to do all the maintenance herself, but she had to make sure it was getting done. So if the shovel got broken, she needed to delegate that to somebody else to fix a shovel. When we were going to be going out on a new project, um, I was a crew leader on that crew. The, the supervisor and I would get together and we'd come up with a tool list and we would just hand the tool list to this coroner and she'd have to make sure that all the right tools got loaded onto the rig and she'd out to the work site and properly maintained and inventoried it. Um, she learned a lot. She came a long way. She eventually uh, qualified to run chainsaws. People did not think she would ever run a chainsaw. It took a lot of work. She, she needed a lot of uh, confidence to be built up, 
she eventually qualified to run chainsaws. And when she left the CCC at the time, uh, at the end of her um, term, she left the seas to go to work for a Caltrans tree crew. And she worked with Caltrans for a year or two. And then she left Caltrans to go to work for the U.S. Forest Service on a hotshot firefighting crew. So this very meek and wild, you know, indecisive girl that showed up on our crew grew up in the CCC and went on and she had a, a successful career as a hotshot. She was a hotshot for a long time. Um, and we meet other kind of people. There was another person on my crew. A lot of people have the impression California Conservation Corps members um, are troubled youth <laughs> and in trouble with the law. And, you know, some of them are troubled. Uh, they can't be in too much trouble with the law because you can't have a record. You can't have a felony record and get into the seas. Um, but some of them are borderline. Um, this girl who came onto our crew, she had a bachelor's degree in Sino-Soviet relations. And she had already been an English teacher in China for a year. And you think, how does a person like that wind up in the CCC? First... <laughs> I had to ask what Sino-Soviet relations even was. Sino is you know, an academic word for Chinese. So she was an expert in the political relations between China and Russia. And so that made sense that she had been an English teacher in China for a year. Um, but she was an English teacher for a year, and then she decided that teaching wasn't her thing. She wanted to do third world reforestation. So she came home from China... She did some research on you know, planting, tree planting and learning that sort of thing. She found out that the CCC did a lot of tree planting. She thought that she could join the seas and get some hands-on experience doing what she wanted to do. She wound up coming to Del Norte Center where she did plant some trees. Um, <clears throat> did a lot of trail work um, and had a great time in the year that she was there. She got her hands dirty. She learned how to work hard. When she finished in the seas, she took her scholarship and went, she went to Humboldt State to get a second degree in forestry. And then when she finished her degree, she got a job with the California Department of Forestry, CDF as it was known at the time. Uh, so people come into the CCC for all kinds of reasons. Um, and they have all kinds of experiences once they leave. And so I really believe that we need to record those experiences, that they need to be preserved um, as an inspiration for other people to follow. They, and we need to make them available for people to hear. Or as we disappear, these stories will disappear. And I also want to capture stories of just regular people, too. Those two people that I talked about, they've got extraordinary stories. But a lot of people come in, and they do their year, and they're just regular people when they come in. They do the, their year, they learn how to work, they don't do special programs, they don't go backcountry, they don't do energy program, they're not on a fire crew, they don't promote or anything. They just diligently work hard for the year, they complete all the requirements that they're supposed to do in the year, and they graduate, and they move on. Every one of those people has a story also. So my goal is to capture as many of these stories that I can, and that's a big job. I'm just one person. I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. I'm going to need a little help. So this is also a call for help 
from others in the CCC community. Uh, if you've taken a look at the blog that I have, uh, I do have a variety of stories on there from different types of cormers. Looks like it's turning into a backcountry blog almost. And that's not my intent for it to be exclusively about the backcountry. Um, I want to cover all aspects of the CCC. But I'm only one person. And, you know, I was in the program and I went backcountry. Uh, so I feel like that's my tribe. And so that's my area of special interest. But I could use a hand from former firefighters. I could use a hand from former energy crew corners. I could use a hand from former regular corners who just did their year and then got on with their life. I'm looking for people who want to tell their stories. I'm looking for people who want to help me collect those stories. There's all kinds of different ways that we can do this. We can write them down. We can record them like I'm doing here. But um, I really need your help in order for this project to work, in order for it to do what I would like it to do. Um, so later on in this podcast, uh, I will post the contact, I will give you the contact information for getting in touch with me. And the information will always be at the blog. That blog, I think, is going to be my primary outlet for doing this stuff. I'm going to keep doing the podcast and hopefully I'm going to have some more lined up here in the near future. But what I would really like to do is have the podcast go through the blog. The blog will be like the cornerstone to everything that I do here with CCC Hardcore. Um, so I look forward to hearing from all of you because every Cormer has a story that deserves to be told and we want to help you tell it. Welcome back to CCC Hardcore. The second half of today's program is going to be a little bit more personal for me. Uh, it occurred to me that I've been asking for people to tell their CCC stories, uh, but I haven't told you mine yet, and you guys don't really know very much about me. Um, so, today is my coroner profile. Before I joined the Seas, I grew up outside in Illinois, outside of Chicago. Um, from the time I was about 12 years old, um, I was a real big history buff, and I liked the outdoors, and I liked airplanes and stuff. I wanted to join the military. I wanted to go someplace where history was being made, so I wanted to be there where it was happening instead of just reading about it all the time. So that's what I was preparing myself to do all through high school. When I graduated, and it came time to enlist, I mean, right after graduation, I went down and talked to a recruiter. And I got turned down. To make a, I'll make a long story a little bit shorter. Over the next year, I tried seven times to get in. I've got birth defects on my right hand and on my left foot. And the first recruiter took a look at my hand, and he said, nope, sorry, we can't use you. So I went next door to the next recruiter. And he took a look at my hand, and he went and he looked in the manual, and he said, nope, sorry, we can't use you. So I went to a third recruiter. He took a look at my hand, and he said, well, let me call my boss and ask. The boss got back to him and said, no, we can't use him. Every time I talked to a recruiter, I'd get a little bit farther. Till finally, one recruiter, uh, the boss said, okay, let's see where we can go with this. And so I went down to the MEP station in Chicago for the physical. And my foot defect kept me out of the military. I was born without a big toe. 
And they said that that lack of big toe would affect my sense of balance and my load carrying capabilities. Um, the recruiter was mad because he, he said, man, I get guys coming in here and I, I can't find a reason to keep them out and I got to put them in. But I get a kid in here that I want in the helicopter with me and they give me this. So he put together a packet uh, with affidavits and stuff from people that I knew from my um, chief of police in the town that I grew up in. Um, they said that the lack of big toe affected my sense of balance. Well, I had a letter from my high school tennis coach saying that it did not in interfere with my sense of balance. I had a letter from my personal doctor who is a, who is a retired Air Force surgeon. He'd been a colonel in the Air Force in charge of the me a medical wing for a big military hospital. And he said that it would in no way interfere with military service. And it came back rejected again. So I didn't get in the military. That dream kind of went by the wayside. Um, to make a, I'll jump around a little bit here. And uh, I found myself going to California a few years later. I wanted to see what the mountains and the forests were like. Uh, I thought I was going to be in California for about a year, maybe two, and then head back to Illinois to settle down uh, for a career and a family. So I came to California. And I found out about the California Conservation Corps. I had an aunt and an uncle who live in Discovery Bay. And in early 1986 was a really bad flood year. And Corps members had been out sandbagging near their house. So they told me about the CCC. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. You know, it sounds like what, something that I might want to do. Um, I saw the CCC recruiting display at the State Fair at Cal Expo in 1986. Um, and that really got my attention. Um, so while the quorum was there in uniform, they had all the big pictures on the wall, the displays, examples of the work that they had been doing. Um, there was one picture in particular, it was a really popular picture in the seas back in the late eighties. Uh, it was a guy standing on a log jam wearing hip waders, holding the double bit ax. And he was um, looking off to the side and the sunlight was reflecting a little bit off the goggles on his hard hat. And that looks so cool. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I can do that. That's pretty cool. Um, so I joined, sent my application in and joined. And I had no idea really what I was going to do. Um, this was going to be my replacement for the military. Another reason for me to join the military was just to see what I was made of. You know, just to see if I could get through the same hard situations that so many Americans had before, you know, in the, the, in the snows of Europe and the jungles of the Pacific and all that sort of thing. I just wanted to see if I had, um, what it took to make it. Now I had never been an athlete. Yeah. I got my, um, I, I played tennis in high school, but I was never an athlete. Um, I wasn't one of the best tennis players, um, but this is going to be a big test for me. The big test for me was whether I could physically do the challenge. Um, so when I got to, at the time, there was a training academy in San Andreas, California, Frico City. And when I got there, one of the things they asked you when you got in was if you had any preference over a duty station. They couldn't guarantee that you would get it, but they asked, you know, if, if you could go anywhere, which center would you want to go to? And I had no idea one end of the state from the other. I just told them I didn't come to California to work in a city, so I don't want to be in a city. Um, when it came time for assigning, I, I drew Del Norte Center. 
Um, and Del Norte Center has been closed um, for a little while now, but it was on the mouth of the Klamath River, near the town of Klamath, um, just south of Oregon. It's almost as far north in California as you can go. Um, so I finished the academy. It was physically challenging and physically demanding. There were times when I wasn't sure I was going to make it, but I did. I hung in there and I made it. And I got sent to Del Norte Center. And I got put on crew three at Del Norte Center. Let me back up a little bit here. <laughs> at the academy, I found out about one of the special programs of the CCC. It was the Backcountry Trails Program. Uh, they told us about it in an evening presentation. There was a slideshow that went with it. And I saw photos of Cormers working in the rugged mountains, living in tents, cooking over a propane stove, hauling water from a creek, um, doing a lot of hard work. And I saw that, and I thought, that is exactly what I came to California to do. Um, that is what I want to do. And so when I got sent to Del Norte Center, I did not know that the backcountry program was run out of Del Norte Center. And when I got assigned to a crew at Del Norte, I got put on Crew 3. And Crew 3's supervisor, Conservationist 1 or C1, um, was Kristen Higton. Um, at the time, she, before she got married, she was Kristen Callum. And... Kristen was not only a former backcountry corps member, she had been a crew leader in the CCC, she had done the backcountry program to Yosemite, and she had worked several years on a Yosemite backcountry trail crew for the National Park Service. So my C1 was a backcountry veteran. And I showed up on the crew right around the time the backcountry season was ending. So we had five backcountry veterans assigned to my crew. Um, so backcountry used to be an everyday topic of conversation for us, talking with the C1 and these other corners. They're talking about their time in the mountains in Kings Canyon National Park and Sequoia National Park and Yosemite and up in the Trinity Alps. And they're talking about all these experiences and what the work required and what it was like to work in the sleet and what it was like to deal with Jardia and what all... <laughs> All of these things, it just drew me more and more in. Man, that is so. That is exactly what I came to California to do. And I thought this was pretty typical in the seas. I mean, this was my crew. This is the only experience that I had. I didn't find out until years later that that was a pretty unique experience. That kind of thing happens almost nowhere else in the CCC. Um, backcountry normally isn't <laughs> everybody's fixation and topic of conversation, but it was on Crew 3. Because there were so many veterans on that crew. So I applied for the program, and I got picked. Um, and I got sent to Yosemite National Park, summer in 1987. It was a great summer. We had an unusual crew. Normally, backcountry is backcountry trails. Um, there was a special project they wanted to do that year, that Yosemite wanted to do that year. Um, at a High Sierra camp, um, Yosemite has a string of what they call High Sierra camps. They're up in the high country, and they're places where people can pay money to go and lodge in a tent cabin and have their meals cooked for them. And each one is about a mule day, a mule trip day apart from each other. And they've got you know some amenities. They've got some creature comforts. One of the things they're supposed to have is our toilets. 
Well, the the septic system at Vogelsang High Sierra Camp uh, had been failing, and so they they needed to rebuild something else. So this is going to be the sewer project, and you know a lot, they were looking for volunteers specifically to to work on that. It was one of the options you could put down. Would you work on this crew? And I wanted to get to the backcountry any way I could. So, of course, I said, yeah, I'll work on that crew. And so I got picked for that crew. It turned out to be a wild summer. Uh, 1987 was a really bad fire year. That was the year of fire almost burned Groveland, California, right outside Yosemite Park. And they were desperate for firefighters. And we actually got pressed into certain... Well, not pressed. I mean, we didn't drag us against the will. I said... <laughs> Um, it, it was optional for the crew. Hey, we have these fires. Do you want to go help and work on the fires? Most of us said yes. Most of us had received fire training and we said, yeah, and we went, we worked on some fires. We got helicoptered into some fires. That was pretty cool. We didn't do any direct attack. We just did mop up. And what we did is we allowed the real firefighters to go out to their next direct attack assignment while we just finished putting out, um, the job that they had started. So we got to do some fires. We got to do some search and rescue for people that got lost in the mountains. Uh, we got to do we trail building, trail maintenance. We got to do some trail deconstruction. We put to bed an old, uh, no longer used trail up uh, outside of Rafferty Meadows. Uh, followed the, the, the hills alongside Rafferty Meadows. And we built our sewer. Um, so that was quite the summer. Um, so when I finished that, I went back to Del Norte and I did what seemed to me to be the next logical step. Um, I went for crew leader. Uh, I promoted, became a crew leader, stayed at Del Norte for the next year, uh, was Kristen Higton's crew leader for the next year. The next summer, uh, we're going on spikes, fishery spikes, uh, no, uh, mostly trail spikes. Um, when my two years was ending, um, towards the end of 1988, an opportunity came up, uh, to promote to a fishery special corner. Now I would no longer be in the CCC program at that time. I would have been a staff member, but not a permanent civil service staff. And so my job was going to be liaison between the CCC and the department of fishing game on salmon habitat restoration projects. And I had done salmon habitat restoration work and the fishing game uh, boss interviewed me and I got the job. So when I left the program of the CCCs, I became a staff member, had to move off center, had to find my own place to live down in Klamath. Did that for a few months. And then um, the next winter, uh, I applied for trail crew jobs in several different places, and I wound up getting myself a backcountry trail crew job in Kings Canyon in 1988. And worked for Lori Church for a season in Kings Canyon, and uh, that was pretty much the end of my trails days. Uh, so what have I been doing since the seas? Uh, when I left Kings Canyon, I took a little time off, uh, went back to school for a couple of years, uh, got a liberal arts AA, um, wound up doing, getting back into natural resources work, uh, kind of bouncing around between different jobs. Um, I got hired on as a scientific aide for the department of fishing game. I did some private sector 
uh, striped bass studies at some power plants down in the East Bay. Um, got on as a crew supervisor with the Seas for almost two years, uh, but it wasn't a permanent position. It was a limited term based on the funding. Uh, so to make permanent, um, I went back over to fishing game. And so ever since then, I've just been working natural resources for the state of California. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's, it's been great. And that's today's podcast installment of CCC Hardcore. I hope that now you have a better idea of my goal for the CCC Hardcore blog and understand my motivation for getting all of your CCC stories out there. If you are a core member and would like to share your story, contact me either by email at grinningdwarf at gmail.com or through the Facebook page CCC Hardcore. I'll also post contact information in the podcast description below and on the blog. I really want to help you tell your CCC story, whatever your experience is in the seas. Contact me and we can figure out the best way to tell your story. You can write it out or we can talk for a while and I'll write it out for you. Uh, maybe we could just talk on the phone and record a podcast and people can listen to sea stories while they're commuting to work. Remember, everybody has a story worth telling. You don't even need to have a wild backcountry or firefighting story. Completing a year in the seas is a huge accomplishment by itself, and there is definitely a before the CCCU and an after the CCU, and we want to hear that. Staff members are welcome to share their stories, too. You're a part of the family. Again, send an email to grinningdwarf at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page at CCC Hardcore. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon. The views discussed on this podcast represent those of the host and the guests and do not necessarily represent the views of the California Conservation Corps. Music for this podcast is a tune called Boogie Number no. 1 by the Tall Pines.